Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning on this, as we said earlier, recognizing this is our first Sunday of the year. Even though it's January 7th, we gather together in the Lord's house. We thank those people who are on Zoom as well, joining us this morning. We wish you all a happy new year. We're glad to have uh, Kirk Sinclair with us this morning. And Kirk will come now uh, to lead us in prayer and to read uh, more of the scripture, I believe. I'm going to be reading uh, from Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. Well, Braden had the lion's share of the reading, and I hope you were paying attention because what he was talking about is very important in terms of this message. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, first four verses, and I'll just read from verse 1. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Father, we are most blessed this morning as we look to this passage, which talks about the advent of the promised comforter, to the people of God. The Lord Jesus Christ promised the, the arrival of the Comforter. And in these four verses, we are happy to see the, the arrival of the one who indwells our hearts. We rejoice because of this arrival and what it means for your believers. We have your presence dwelling indeed in our hearts. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that that uh, that our hearts would be focused on on the recognition of your Holy Spirit and his role in dwelling within us and revealing to us every spiritual truth and transforming our hearts from the person that we used to be into people that are like little replicas of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, Lord, that you are involved in doing this work. And we rejoice, especially because that work, which is started in the heart of a believer will not be stopped until it is complete. And so we rejoice that your completed work will, will finish us uh, to be exactly what you want us to be. And father, we rejoice because your word tells us that we have every confidence of the safety and security and eternal joy that, uh, that are at your right hand for those who are trusting in you. And so this morning, Lord, we, uh, we desire that we might honor you by looking at this passage. And we pray, Lord, that, that uh, we might be captive to it, that our hearts would be teachable and yielded, and that the Holy Spirit would be the one that we would listen to, for he is our true teacher. We acknowledge these things uh, with thanks to you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The end, brother. Welcome, and the Lord bless as you open the word. Good morning, all you channels. I pray that I might be a channel this morning as well, because if I'm not, I shouldn't be up here. 
Back to Acts chapter 2. Sorry, I just turned... There we go. I'm going to read our passage one more time. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pause and we'll submit to the Lord first and then we will proceed with our text. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that you were not content to let your your creation continue on in their course of sin. You provided a means of reconciliation by providing in the person of your own son that, that sacrifice that propitiates and satisfies, that forever satisfies the wrath of a holy God against his sinning creation. And Father, we rejoice because your word tells us that we are safe and secure, having regenerated hearts and being in Christ, that we are indeed yours and can no more be lost than a son can become an unson. And so we thank you for this confidence that we have in your mighty finished work. And we rejoice that your Holy Spirit is a gift uniquely given to your people to equip us and to teach us and to transform us. And we rejoice that we enjoy this special privilege of having the indwelling spirit in us. And so now as we look at Acts chapter 2 and we discuss the arrival of the Holy Spirit, we pray especially for understanding this morning. Father, we can read sections of your text, but we ask especially for your Holy Spirit's blessing and opening it up to us that there would be no mistake in us understanding what you want us to know from these four verses. Please, Lord, bless us with the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that your name might be be glorified this morning also. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Amen. So we have verse 1 and we have the day of Pentecost that that uh, has come. And we, we, we know in Scripture that Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit would come uh, to the disciples. He gave them special instructions to tarry in Jerusalem, knowing that this was a future event. And just as Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him, and that was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus coming in the line of David. Now we have the Lord Jesus Christ making a promise to his people that he would provide the comforter. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, proceeding from both father and son. And he is the one that dwells in your heart this morning if you're a believer. He's the one that educates you. He's the one that motivates you. He's responsible for your Christian education. And I pray that you would listen not just to my voice, but you would listen to his voice this morning. So 
Luke 24:49 says, "Behold, I send the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, of, of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high." They understood that the Holy Spirit, also called the Comforter, would endue them with power. Power for the task that they had at hand, which was the Great Commission. And their task is the same as our task this morning. Our commission is the same as those that were in the upper room who received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, Acts 1.8 also talks about Jesus promising to send the Comforter, but you shall receive power again when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we're witnesses in Sudbury, in Lively, in Chelmsford, all of the areas here. And that's kind of our territory in the coverage of the world for, uh, for God's people in this area. Now, what is the work of the Spirit? Well, I could spend the rest of today talking about the work of the Spirit and then come back tonight. We could say I'm sorry to the other speaker and I could continue to tell you all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit who enlightens and leads and teaches and produces fruit All of these things are the ministries of the Holy Spirit. But let's look at uh, what it is that the Holy Spirit does uh, for us. Uh, We can look at first at uh, John 14, 26, and then we'll look at uh, John 16, verses 13 to 15. So John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So the first blank is teach before I flip it there. Teach and bring to remembrance all that, uh, that I said to you. John 16, 13 to 15 gives us a few more details about what the ministry or the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. John 16, 13. But however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you uh, things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. Verse 15, all things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it unto you. So that's a beautiful summary of what the, the Holy Spirit's role is for us. Takes all of the words and the works of Christ and he brings them to our remembrance. So he becomes our spiritual teacher in everything that we do. When we accumulate knowledge and we read the word, uh, the Holy Spirit is with us to take and write those things on our heart. And if we're paying attention, we'll remember them. And so uh, that's important. Christ's words and his works. Now, another question that I think that I can answer here, because there's very few places in scripture where where we have direct answers for things. But why did the Spirit wait until, or wait, the advent of the Holy Spirit wait until after Jesus was resurrected? And that might, that might be a question that you had considered in times past, because we know the manifestation in the Spirit of believers in the Old Testament was different from the manifestation of the Spirit in believers in the New Testament. But there's two, two things that I can give you there. 
There are six or seven different answers to this, but I think that the most significant ones is that the time for spreading the gospel could not begin until after the events of the gospel. And I'm talking about Christ's death to accomplish salvation were completed. So they had to be completed. So Christ died to, to, to complete the atonement transaction. And part and parcel to the atonement transaction is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit could not be given until Christ had died uh, and was raised up again on the third day. And another, another reason is that the Holy Spirit was part of what Christ purchased through his death. Always remember that we were bought at a price and the price for our salvation and the joys that we receive now in this, in this new life of ours is at the cost of the life of Christ, his shed blood, his perfect righteous shed blood. So we think of the Holy Spirit as part of what Christ purchased in, in the atonement transaction. And so that had to take place after the events of the cross. So what, what we're going to, to do uh, in the next 30 minutes or so is we're going to look at the first four verses. First, the occasion, which is Pentecost, and that's the timing of it. And then the manifestation of that arrival or that advent, which was wind and fire, and then the equipping. And the key word to this, to this message this morning is understanding. And I hope that, that you see and understand where I'm coming from when I, when I make that statement. Because the Holy Spirit, he equipped those people in the upper room very uniquely for the establishment of the church. And so the gospel had to go out. And so we'll see that this was an opportune time as well. But first, we're going to look at what the Pentecost is. All right, Pentecost, uh, the word that it's based on is the word 50th. And it's, it's based on uh, seven weeks after uh, something. Then, then we have 49 days pass. And the way that they render time in Scripture, they, uh, they count the first and last days. So we have 50th here. Uh, what's being referred to, we can look at Exodus 34.22, and we can see that it's the Feast of Weeks that's being referred to. Exodus 34.22 says, And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. This was one of many festivals uh, in Jewish culture where everyone converged on Jerusalem. So the world was there. And of course, there's no hotel rooms available. You know, it's the, the city is choked with visitors. And of course, it's the perfect time to, to, to get the word of the gospel out. And because when the people return to their homes, then they return with the message of the gospel. And we can see how many different uh, uh, gospel uh, efforts are, are being seeded by this. But uh, Pentecost is uh, significant because it commemorates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, which was seven weeks to the day after God led his people out of Egypt. And so what we see here is one of these things that I really like to do. I could put a slide up that has uh, the, the advent of the law on one side versus the advent of the spirit on the other. And we would be able to see that there is this seven weeks between these two events. So... We have the advent of the law, the day of the Passover feast. Israel left Egypt, seven weeks go by. Then the law comes down on Sinai. 
And you remember how the people were terrified. They were standing at the base of the mountain and they said to, to Moses, you go talk to God and you can represent us. Um, all right. And, and when the spirit came, which is what we're talking about today, the day of the Passover feast, seven weeks go by during which Jesus died and rose and ascended. And then the spirit comes at Pentecost. So we can see that there has been seven weeks now that have passed since all of these events, these tumultuous events of the cross have taken place. A man died and a man rose again. And a man, that same man was seen by hundreds of people at the same time. And so the thing is that this was the headlines in the local newspaper from that day forward. And so what we have is we have the, the people that are, they're gathered together, they're praying for one another, they're, they're, they're operating like a church now. And we see now that they, they, they've been instructed to wait until that comforter comes. And so they're all together in that one room. And uh, now I want to, to talk about something else that we can't really read too much about. But something that's very significant here is that when Christ died, Christ died on a Friday. And that's Good Friday. And, and we celebrate his, his resurrection on the Sunday and we count that as being three days. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you'll notice that we count Friday and Sunday uh, as full days. So what I'm saying is that we know from history that Christ rose on a Sunday, on the seventh day. And, um, uh, sorry, that's not true. <laughs> Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit descended. And my point was, because we're comparing the two, Christ rose on the first day of the week. Right? I see the heads there. Sorry, please forgive me. And, and the Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. So what we're talking about now is we're talking about the, the Jewish tradition of the Sabbath and, and everything that the Lord had said for the Sabbath and, and the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. Now we have a new day. We have the Lord's day. And this day is the, uh, the first day of the week. And we come to church on the first day of the week. And we have, a few, uh, we have a few verses in Scripture that we can look to here that uh, I'm a little bit behind. First day of the week. Confirmation of the Lord's Day. And I have a couple of verses here that make reference to it. Uh, we can look at Acts 20, verse 7 first, because it, chronologically that's the first, the first instance Scripture mentions and singles out the Lord's Day as being special significance. And so that's what these verses make reference to. So Acts 20, verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And so that, that, uh, that verse indicates that that was the regular day of meeting for, for that church. Now if we look at Revelation 1.10, uh, this, of course, was, was written uh, many, many years later. The book of Revelation written by John on the island of Patmos. Uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard him behind and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So I'm just sharing these verses because these verses make reference to the Lord's day. The Lord's day is recognized in scripture. All right. And all of that, of course, is simply setting the table so that we can proceed through with the next three verses here. So we've looked at the occasion, Pentecost, 
And now we find that we have the 120 up in the upper room and the spirit arrives. And the spirit arrives with, uh, um, with, with science. So, uh, so I've already said they were together in one accord. There were no more disputes about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Things have changed since Christ died and rose again, and they all saw him. Uh, we, we get, uh, we're informed that there was more than the apostles here, because if we, if we look at uh, chapter 1, there was perhaps 120 apostles there. It's mentioned in Acts 1.15 or so. So it's not just the 11 plus Matthias here. It's the larger group. And they had been praying in one accord for several weeks since Christ rose again. So we're talking about seven weeks where we have a fledgling church of people getting together of one accord. And we see that, uh, that when they're, they're praying together, this is another instance of a church being blessed when they pray together, right? This is what we seek as a church, to be of one accord with one voice and one mission. And we want to be effective at bringing the message of the gospel to, to Sudbury really, to our households, to our places of work, and to our neighborhoods. Okay, I think I'm ready to go now. Let's go. Uh, Arrival, wind and fire. All right. So when God came down to the the tabernacle, uh, when they were were commissioning it, you can remember that he came down and and what we had was smoke filling the temple. And that was was a, a, a theophany in a sense. It filled the temple well, they were, and showed the people that God was present, blessing the temple. You can also remember that, that the, uh, the sacrifice that they left on the altar, fire came down from heaven and consumed that altar. So, but the Holy Spirit would not come down in the way of smoke. Uh, it, it came down in, in the form of wind. And the word that uh, is used in scripture is panuma, which you think pneumatic tires based on air, they're, they're filled with air. Uh, uh, panuma also means wind or breath uh, or spirit, spirit with a big S or spirit with a little S, however it's used. And uh, imagine, if you will, that, uh, that, that we're with these 120 in the upper room. They hear the sound of a mighty wind and they're inside under a roof. And we know that the spirit moves mysteriously like the wind. And John tells us in in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell uh, where uh, where it comes from and where it goes. And so is everyone who is born of the spirit, the mystery of the, of the spirit. And here we have the spirit that comes upon, upon them. All right. Uh, now, the same word is used in, in, uh, in many different uh, places in the Old Testament as well. Uh, and the word ruach is, uh, is seen in Ezekiel 37.9. And this is in the context of the dry bones. I'll just read that quickly. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. This is ruach. It's the same root word as, uh, as penuma. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And you know what happened then. You know, the sound of the bones coming together. And, and then we have this army standing on their feet. This is the power of the Spirit. So this, this sound of the wind filled the house, perhaps just that one house, to show that it was not a, a natural occurrence. And they, they said the same thing about Jonah, when Jonah and, and the ship that he was on 
uh, encountered the storm. Was that storm, did it affect all the ships everywhere or just or just that one ship that, that he was in? We can speculate about that. But this is indeed, it's not a natural occurrence. And that's the point here. So as wind is, is a, an invisible sign, the advent of the Holy Spirit was also marked by a visible sign. And that visible sign was fire. Uh, fire is described here. And um, as it was daylight, the fire must have been bright in order to be seen. But we can imagine this. We hear the, the sound of wind within this upper room. And, and we have the description of multiple tongues of flame that separate and light upon um, each of the people that were in the room. That's breath. I'm going to flip that slide. Okay. Multiple tongues of flame. That uh, multiple people, but we have to make sure that we're, the way we interpret this is that there is one spirit that comes down and, and indwells all of them. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. It's God indwelling his people. And, uh, and these are mighty signs. These are not natural things that we're seeing here. And, and we're used to seeing that when a prophet came in the Old Testament, we saw the prophet performing miracles so that he could, he could uh, validate the message that, that he had. It's, uh, I guess it's the spiritual equivalent of blue screen that we see in movies today. If, if someone prophesies, if they confirm that prophecy with a miraculous sign, then that gets people's attention. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's what's happened here. So, so prophecy was often accompanied by miraculous signs to confirm uh, legitimacy. Now, I don't know if you remember or not, but in the days of John the Baptist, John the Baptist said that They came to him for baptism and he began to tell them about the person who was coming, about the coming Messiah. John the Baptist had told the people that, that uh, the Messiah would come and he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke 3.16 says, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's what we have today. In these, in these first four verses, we have this prophecy coming true. We have Christ baptizing the 120 in the upper room first with the wind uh, and the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's another similarity we have with the, with the advent of the Holy Spirit versus the advent of the law. We have, we have them both being accompanied with fire. So just as the law was given on Mount Sinai with fire, the Holy Spirit arrives also with fire. Now this, this sign may also show the future persecution, which always accompanies the work of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus suggests in, in Luke 12, 49. Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. And why was the fire divided in tongues? And that's, that's an interesting question. It's an innocent question. 
What's the reason for it? Well, the division shows that the Holy Spirit equips men with unique gifts uh, for the purpose of blessing others. Each one of us is unique. Our personalities are unique. So God has fitted to each one of us certain gifts that, that go with our personality. And when we come together like we are today, we can see such a diversity in our midst that we can be effective at evangelizing. Some people are good at some things. Other people are good at other things. And we, we have a complementary solution. We have the people who are, are uh, uh, specialists in the different things that they're handling. It's, it's great and it's exciting. So, uh, so we have the, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. But the primary significance, I think, is seen in the gift of tongues. Now, it's, I, don't want, I don't mean to say that just because people use the word tongues to describe the flame that kind of settled on people, and I'm talking about tongues as a gift for the purpose of evangelism. Well, it's the fact that tongues is used to describe the flame is, is not, uh, I don't go from one to the other. So, uh, but the gift of tongues is very important. And, and Paul, Paul had to, uh, he had to criticize the, uh, the Corinthians for their use of gifts. And I'll talk about that a little bit, uh, tongue gifts. And I'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, to establish the church, successful communication of the gospel through language was essential. And this is important. And this is where the theme of understanding in today's message starts to emerge. Because we have, we have the 120 now being changed. They're being, they have received the Holy Spirit. They have also received the gift of tongues to equip them to be able to share the, uh, the message of the gospel. And, uh, and if you recall, at Babel, we, we also have a language issue. We, we went from one language uh, to many languages. And when, when, men, when one language was confounded into many, then that resulted in the kind of confusion that disseminated men to cover the earth. They could no longer work t- together. If we all showed up tomorrow and everyone spoke a different language, then, uh, well, I guess families would speak their same languages, then we really couldn't work together, could we? Because of that barrier to understanding. And that's what happens. It drives people apart. And also, the, uh, all of the doctrine that was taught before Babel was in that one language and now has to be translated to the other languages that were created during the confusion at Babel. So... What this does is this reverses that. It brings, multi, it, brings, it brings multiple languages back to the point where understanding can be achieved again. So at Babel, with the loss of understanding, men lost the ability to teach the doctrines of God and fell into idolatry. At Pentecost, by miraculous means, understanding is restored for the sake of evangelism. And this is the important thing. Sometimes we, we, uh, we read about tongues and we think about tongues, but what we should be doing is thinking about the larger issue, which is understanding, understanding. I pray for understanding. Last night and, and earlier this week when, when I was preparing for this message, because if I'm not understood by you, then what's the point of me speaking at all? And if we're going to be evangelists, giving a, a message that's not familiar to, to our neighbors and our families, then unless we're able to clearly put out the gospel message, and that depends on us having a good understanding of it and a good understanding of scripture, 
then there's going to be barriers to understanding. And so the Holy Spirit has jumped on that. You know, understanding is such an important thing that this is why the Spirit gave this gift of, uh, of, of tongues. So I hope I'm not too far ahead of myself here. Okay. So here's verse four, and this is this is talking about language, and this is talking about the enabling, and uh, and we're just going to say a few things about this, and then we'll pray, and uh, and that will be the message. But the message, remember that what's being done here is to prepare the 120 for for telling the world the gospel message, and they were given a miraculous means to do that. So after his resurrection, you remember that Jesus breathed on them. And, uh, and, ge- and gave him the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when he had said this, John 20, 22, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, <clears throat> because of this sign at Pentecost, they had the influence of the Spirit more completely and powerfully in the form of spiritual gifts. And so, so here, when we talk about a special enabling of the Spirit, we're talking about uh, the giving of gifts and and and. Here we see it's, it's, a, it's a miraculous gift because people were speaking and understanding languages that they were not formally taught as a child. And so we're seeing here things that, that we can't understand. But it doesn't matter. We don't need to understand that. What we need to understand is God wanted people to, un, to receive and understand the, the offer of the gospel for the gospel to go out because he was establishing the church at this time. And so that's, that's what uh, this equipping is for. They were equipped to carry out their calling, which is the same as our calling, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make, and this is our lineup. This is what we're to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Amen. So they spoke with other other tongues. They taught and they explained Christ and the gospel. And they were heard and understood by all that heard their voice, regardless of the native language of the hearer. All right. At this point, we're going to read the rest. Braden read a a section. I read a section. We're going to go back and and read section uh, 5 to to verse 13 now. So we can see what what happened here with with, uh, the 120 after they were gifted. So uh, Acts 2, starting at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then it goes into the nations here, starting at verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues and the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever good could this mean? And I'll read verse 13. There's always some that doubt, right? Verse 13, others mocking said they are full of new wine. How else would you explain this miraculous, this miraculous occurrence? So when I read the list of places that are represented here with the world converging on Jerusalem, I see perhaps a church being planted there when everyone returned back home. That's certainly what, what the, uh, the initiative is, is intended to do. When men hear the gospel, then they need to replicate themselves through uh, the process of witnessing and building bridges and making their faith known. And it's interesting because the more we think about this, the gifts, we have to think about how it was manifested. And, and uh, I, I had thought about this, and maybe they're just my ideas, but you may have thought similarly. Uh, these men, uh, they were not s- scholars. Uh, many were fishermen. They were, they were tax collectors, zealots. There was all kinds of different uh, uh, people of different uh, um, occupations. Uh, but, they, but this was miraculous learning. When they, when they learned this new language or these new languages to be able to speak clearly, it was not with stammering or, or with hesitation. It was, it was perfection. You know, when, when, when Jesus heals a man's withered hand, he doesn't give him half a hand. He gives him a, a full, fully healed hand. When he heals leprosy, he, he restores the skin so that it's as, uh, uh, just as beautiful and as clear as that of a young child. And so Isaiah 32, 4 says at the heart of the rash, uh, also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. Now, it was probable. Now, what I thought was I thought, okay, there's 120 people. He's going to give one person uh, Italian, another person French, another person English. You know, and then when we run out of 120, what are we going to do? But think of it this way. All of those 120 emptied into the street. All of them come up to somebody and they begin to speak the gospel. They don't think about what language they're speaking, but they're speaking a language that is perfectly understood by everybody that they talk to. Regardless of what country they're from, what language they speak, you know, and, and uh, you know, before this, it's, uh, I remember in, in the account of uh, Peter, when he was denying the Lord Jesus Christ, he was out in the courtyard, a servant girl came up to him, and she re- they recognized Peter because of his speech, because he was a Galilean. They could hear in the, in the inflection of his speech that he was from that part of the country. But I can guarantee you that these miraculous languages taught by the Holy Spirit by miraculous means didn't leave anything to be desired. They spoke it masterfully, whatever the language was, to be able to communicate without barriers. And that's, that's the way God works. God removes the barrier to understanding. And that's where the blessing is. And God gave the language gift to the 120 so that they could go out and they could deliver it to the world. 
And not worry about having to clarify or to re-explain something because they, they all spoke in the native language of the one that received that message. So I hope you understand me this morning explaining all of the little, the little things that, uh, that I want to communicate to you. The gift of tongues was a complete removal of any barriers to understanding. Uh, and I've got in brackets a temporary reversal of, of Babel here. But uh, you students that are out there, wouldn't that be nice to have the gift of being able to understand what my professor is saying for the first time? He doesn't have to explain it again. I get it for the first time. And so, so this unique gift was given to the, to the 120 so they, they could go out. And it doesn't matter who you talk to. You don't have to ask the question, will he understand me? Or will that lady over there understand me? They will, because the Holy Spirit has gifted them. And the thing is that if I was working with a person and he started to talk to somebody, uh, whatever language they were, I would have to understand him as well so I could kind of work with him, wouldn't I? So that's, that's the way that these, these things work. So I thought that in a room of 120, you've got, you've got this language, this language, this language. Start to think this way. They all scattered. They all found a different person. They spoke to him. They were understood in the language that they spoke. No laboring to, you know, patiently laboring and longing to, to kind of reason with. They understood everything that, that was being said. And what was it that they communicated? They communicated the things related to God, the things that had taken place, especially seven weeks earlier in Jerusalem. This man that died, is God come in the flesh? And that's the good news I have for you. If you're trusting in him, then there will be no condemnation for you. So understanding is the key of what value is preaching and teaching if it's not understood. And that's, that's what, uh, I don't know, did I get the handout right on that? Or did I put un- understanding? Okay. All right. And just before we go, I want to, uh, to briefly visit what, uh, what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Now, some denominations today will be very big on the use of tongues as a gift. And I think that uh, most Baptist churches uh, espouse the position of a cessationist. So we, we, uh, we believe that the tongue gifts, like other certain gifts, were for the purpose of establishing the church, and it's not normative that God works that way today. And if that's the case, then this giftedness that God gave those 120 was for the express purpose of establishing the church. Establishing the church. Now, based on the, the number of Bible societies that we have that are all engaged in, in uh, the exercise of translation, we know that this gift was temporary. And uh, we sure wish that we had it now so that we could reach all of the people in the world. There are still some people or many people that, that uh, don't have a Bible in their own language. Now, when, when Paul talked about the, uh, the tongues in, that were being used in, in 1 Corinthians, he criticized them because they were, they were exercising the gifts without having an interpreter. And without an interpreter, there's no understanding. So here we go back to the word understanding. Paul, was, Paul had an issue with the Corinthians and their use of the tongue gifts 
because they were they, they were entertaining it, they were allowing it, but they didn't have interpreters. And so what's the point of that? So these things have to be interpreted. So when we think about the purposes of God doing certain things at certain times for certain reasons, then we should be able to harmonize uh, that because God makes sense. He wants, he wants his people to understand what the church is based on, what our faith is based on. He wants us to, to love him uh, and, and, uh, he, and for us to communicate to this dying world that there, there is salvation available in Christ. So where does that bring us? And what's our take home here? Well, I certainly hope that I've done justice to this, but I may not. So let me restate this. According to his promise, Jesus provided the Holy Spirit for us. And this morning, if you're trusting in Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one that, 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 is, that has revealed that knowledge to you. And when you feel especially blessed, it's the Holy Spirit that is bringing you to that place. Next time you read the Bible, pray and ask the Spirit to to interpret for you what's in the Word to aid your understanding. So the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. I like to say that the, the Bible is the one book that you read that the author is always present with you when you read it. And he'll even explain it to you if you pray to him and you ask and, and you, you come uh, submissively. So I've already said these things before. Uh, the Holy Spirit equips us today with gifts to enable us to communicate the gospel effectively and to minister to one another. So there's two things there now. We've already mentioned that we have the Great Commission. So when we leave this place, we have God's instructions. And that's our, that's our, that's our goal, is to evangelize the world. But we also, we also use our special gifts when we're together. And this is, this is for all of the one another's of the body of Christ. We bless each other with our gifts. And those that are good at one thing, they share that. Those that we see musical gifts up here, we see other different gifts of people, and we're all unique, and we all bring something to the table. And God uses it all. God uses it all. Every one of you are, are being used by God in a unique way in the body and outside the body. Just remember that. And uh, we have to make sure that we're doing what God has designed us to do, that we're there and we're fulfilling the need that he has us designed to do. That's our calling. So we need to be faithful. And we need to use our gifts for God's glory. And uh, that's generally how we serve him. And aren't you glad that we're not all the same? We all bring something uh, complementary with each other for the purpose of doing God's work. What a blessing it is. And he allows us to, to, uh, to stumble and to fall and still be part of the whole plan of reaching the world with his message. We're not disqualified if we, if we mess up. Uh, it's, it's just part of life, you know. And, and God, uh, he blesses us, he, he equips us, he, he pours the word into our hearts, and, and then we go, and we become his hands and feet. Let's pray. Father, with great joy, we acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we are indeed comforted by your indwelling spirit. And indeed, Lord, we, we know that because our, our strengths are not the same as the person next to us, we know, Lord, that your unique blessing rests in, in the indwelling spirit of what he's given to us. And we pray, Lord, that, 
that the, that the purpose of the gift be realized, that we reach the world in a way that people can understand. Understanding is the key. And Lord, we pray that, that, uh, that you give us the knowledge that we need to, to, to comfortably and uh, naturally explain to, uh, to an unbelieving world the hope that we have in our hearts. And we, we thank you for these great events that have been documented here in this small passage, and we rejoice because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.